listeners and welcome to Smart Loving Conversations, the place where we discuss all things Catholic marriage. I'm Francine Parola. And I'm Laura Kane from Smart Loving, a global network that accompanies couples as we together explore how to maximise the good times and learn from the bad ones. With our guests, we explore love, marriage, family and living the Catholic faith, setting our sights on heaven while keeping our feet on the ground or in the mud and muck that life throws our way. We've been there and so have our guests. Join us for better and for worse as we dive deep into real-life conversations of struggle and triumph. Welcome, friends and listeners of Radio Maria Australia. As this goes to air, Australia is celebrating Anzac Day. And for our international listeners, that's our War Memorial Day. So our smart, loving conversation today is about war and peace on the home front. We're so pleased you're here, friends. And as we normally do with each SL Conversation podcast, we start with the following question. How has your walk with the Lord been these past days? So Fran, throw it to you. What's been happening in your world? Yeah, look, it it hasn't been a great couple of weeks. I've had um, a kind of a resurgence of my migraines. They were sort of doing really well and They've kind of come back with a bit of a vengeance. So it's just been a little bit challenging for me. Just I've I've tried over the years to cultivate a real attitude of surrendering it to God and offering it up for prayer and for intention and things like that. But it just gets a little bit wary sometimes. So anyway, that's where I'm at. So sorry. Not with migraines, but I can feel you about feeling uncomfortable and in discomfort because I'm seven weeks away from giving birth and my belly is huge. <laughs> it's a bit of a hurry up and wait until I go into labor. So yeah, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. Sleep is disturbed. All those yeah. hormones are raging. Having to yeah. rely on others to pick things up and not being able to do what I normally do is frustrating. So I too mm. am trying to offer it up. <laughs> yeah. And it's all um good fun. Yeah. And look, you know that it has an end and there's a beautiful baby, but it is hard. Byron always calls this third trimester, the beached whale trimester, because you're just so awkward, even just rolling over in bed. It's like you have to an wake effort. up and throw yourself over and nothing is A beached is easy. whale needing, yeah, needing yeah. to be yeah, rolled Yeah, need over. a crane. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. That's where I'm at. Moving on to our topic from, you know, being in discomfort, war and peace on the home front. There is, of course, a great ministry to those who serve on our front lines, whether in the Navy or the Army or the Air Force. Yeah, Air Force. So I know, Fran, that you're in the Order of Malta. And because we've gone with a military theme for this SL conversation, can you tell us a little bit about the military connection with the Order of Malta? Yeah, so the full name um, of the Order of Malta is the Sovereign Military Order of St. John of Jerusalem, of Rhodes and of Malta. And it was founded around 1048, so at the time of the Crusades. It's a religious order. And so the first monks were had the three religious vows of uh, poverty, chastity and obedience. And it was really established to build hospitals in Jerusalem to care for the pilgrims. And that was pilgrims of all faith because many just ordinary people joined the Crusades, not so much to fight, but just to have a take a Christian presence to the Holy Land. And many of them were, it was a long journey, and many of them were too sick to return home. So they basically got to the Holy Land and died there and they needed care. So the Order of Malta was one of the first groups to establish hospitals and it has been really foundational in the development of the hospitaler here and practice. And in fact, um, the St. John's 
ambulance and some of the St John's, the Red Cross and that can have historic connections with the Order of Malta. The military part of the order came in pretty quickly, though, because of the threat of ongoing invasion of Jerusalem by the, when they first set there, there was, it was presently held by Christian forces. So then the knights were obliged to, in order to defend the people that were in their care of their hospitals, they had to take up arms. And so we have those two charisms of the, the care of the poor and the sick and also the defense of faith. So the contemporary days, these days we, that, that gets expressed really around the war of ideas, the cultural ideology. So particularly around life issues, abortion, euthanasia, marriage, freedom of speech, seal of the confessional. Those are some of the issues that the order um, would get involved in, in addition to having quite a few uh, different charitable activities. A lot of, we do a lot of fundraising for different hospital or clinics, rehabilitation clinics. We've got a, we run an ambulance in East Timor and uh, from the Australian province here. So there's a, a couple of different things and, um, we'll provide a link for those who want to kind of explore it and, uh, a little bit more about it. But it's got a very, a long history, almost a thousand years. Wow. That's and great to learn a little bit more about the Order of Malta. I didn't realize all of that. Mm, here in Sydney, particularly, a really good, committed group of men and women who are really seeking to go deeper into their faith and to commit their lives to the Lord in a very practical way. Well, let's dive into our topic war and peace on the home front, but let's turn it towards in relation to marriages. Fran, can you kick it off for us? Yeah, sure. Uh, Laura, as you well know, through our work with couples, we often encounter those who are in really embattled relationships. They've become kind of trapped in this fractious pattern where almost every interaction is plagued with misunderstanding and hostility. The husband and wife seem to they treat each other with suspicion and all their conversations become an exchange of like verbal grenades. Mm. They tend to dig into their positions, they're stubbornly trying to defend them. So they're on the defensive all the time and really expecting trouble rather than peace. So it's like action, reaction, tit for tat. It's that marital version of a battlefield and no one can sustain this level of conflict for long. It's just exhausting. And if the pattern's not disrupted, eventually they just become battle weary and they'll walk away from the marriage because they don't have the energy to keep it up, to keep up the fight. Yes. Look, I know the scenario of being stuck in, I like that term you used, a tit-for-tat exchange, Fran, but just to clarify, you're not not talking about physical violence or extreme verbal abuse there. You're talking about, you know, ordinary couples who are just in a season of discouragement and they've fallen into just a negative conflict pattern. You know, they're both maybe hurt Mm -hmm. and reactive, but trying their best to be loving and they're mostly well-adjusted adults, except in this circumstance and it's bringing out the worst in them. Yeah, absolutely. And in some ways, this is part of almost any couple's journey over marriage and certainly been part of ours. It's just been seasons, I suppose, where for whatever reasons, we just get into a bit of a rut as a couple. Sometimes it's only lasts a few hours and we kind of repair and snap out of it, but sometimes it can go for, for days or months. And it's really wearing um, because you know, the home and your marriage and your family life, you really want that to be a place of refuge and a place where you get supported and recharged. And when that becomes a place of tension, where that itself is the battleground, I mean, the battleground's supposed to be outside the home on the, you know, it's what we go out to work and out to the culture and so on. When we come home, we really want that to be a bit of a refuge. And so I think it's helpful to think about, well, what are some practical ways that we can approach this situation? I did want to just, it's a little bit of a sensitive aspect to this. When we get these kind of combative marriages, I mean, it's, it's kind of common. I mean, that it, in that it happens to many marriages, if not all. 
And sometimes it just it goes downhill and ends up in a permanent breakdown, which is tragic. But I, even though it's common, I just I don't want to make the mistake of thinking that because it's a common experience that it's a normal or that it's optimal. Mm. We certainly don't want to kind of present this as hey, this is all okay, it's acceptable. On the other hand, we also don't want to come across as being unrealistic or, or judgmental about people. This is a journey, a path I've walked with Byron, um, and you've probably walked it also, Laura. But yes. we need to hold on to, it's this tension of trying to hold on to the ideal while being sympathetic and sensitive to those who are in pain. And it's natural, I think, for people to want to alleviate the pain as much as we can. So often we'll downgrade the ideal. So you'll hear people saying things like to somebody who's um, divorced or they've got a family member who's divorced, oh, well, you know, it's unrealistic to expect people to stay married for a lifetime. It comes from a good place, but that's a really dangerous kind of attitude to promote because what it does is it just reduces the ideal. It doesn't actually reduce the pain because the situation is tragic. It's painful. It really, really hurts and damages lots of people. So it doesn't actually alleviate the pain. But what it does is it reduces the ambition of everybody, the whole culture, to strive for excellence in our relationships. And so I just I just wanted to flag that. I don't know if that's making sense or whether you've got any clarification you want to add. Also, like us talking about this as long-term married couples who are active in their faith, I think it helps your fresh, newly married or dating to say, you know, there are going to be seasons of you're at combat with each other, but there's a way to get to the mm. ideal and rekindle. And so how do we do that? And I guess the other aspect of that, Laura, is that a lot of couples come into marriage with an unrealistic expectation of what it can be. And so if they've got stories of hope and stories of recovery, it can help them, their resilience, so that when difficulties come their way, they're not sort of looking at their circumstances and thinking and catastrophizing and thinking they're the only ones or this must be the end because this shouldn't be happening. And so there's this balance between holding firm to the ideal, being realistic about the struggles, and then gently encouraging and holding people to sort of a measure of accountability, remembering that the Lord's mercy is is so infinite uh, but he still holds us. He still he still desires for us to reach the perfection of holiness. So that's he's not impatient about us getting there. But we do want to hold that as a goal. So with all that said, Fran, let's talk about de-escalation and disarmament. If somebody's listening and they are in that <laughs> battleground state at the moment in that this season of their marriage, how can an embattled couple disarm and reset a combative relationship? Yeah. Look, sometimes. We get to talk with both spouses and other times it's just the one. But what's really common, so this is our first point, what's really common is that spouses think that they can't do anything to improve their situation without the full cooperation of the other. So it's like, well, I'm really keen, but he doesn't want to be involved or I'm doing everything I can, but she won't do anything to meet me halfway. And that's a really deadly kind of mindset to slip into. While it's preferable to work with spouse spaces, it's simply not true that a marriage can't be improved with only one spouse. Yeah, I think a good thought experiment is, can you think of something that you could do single-handedly that would make your marriage worse? And if the answer to that question is yes, like, oh, yeah, well, I could have an affair or I could wreck the car or, you know, whatever, throw throw his prized possession in the bin or et cetera, then you can also single-handedly make your marriage better. Yeah, I think that's a really good just little 
yeah, as I say, thought experiment. If you can make it worse without their cooperation, you can sure as hell make it better as well. And yeah. so that's the first thing we like to just give people encouragement because a lot of Bowsers will, I guess, excuse themselves from taking action because they're waiting for the other person to join them on the um, enterprise. I've certainly done that. And it's not really productive. If you're motivated, get started. We'll give you some practical tips. That thought experiment, I think, is just so helpful for, in some ways, we often make the excuse for non-action by saying, well, I'm waiting for my spouse to join me in the project. And that's something I've done in the past. It's not helpful. You do want to, if you're motivated, our advice is, will you get started? Do what you can uh, to improve your marriage and get some forward momentum. After being married for 10 years, I've definitely experienced that phenomenon of being the guilty party in tit for tat, (laughs) you know, battleground. And at the moment, like just thinking in the last couple of months, I'm heavily pregnant at the moment. I've got the additional hormones are raging. So I'm feeling quite sensitive. I can't do what I normally do physically. And the other day, this is a perfect example of like tit for tat. Joe wanted appreciation for doing some garden work. He worked really hard clipping all the hedges And I assumed that because I was feeling sensitive that I can't do as much as I normally do, I tit-tatted back instead of saying, thank you so much. I was like, well, well, I prepped us dinner and I did X, Y, Z, you know, (laughs) and it was just like all he wanted was a bit of a pat on the back and from me. And I assumed that he was criticizing my lack of what he wasn't doing at all. So that's a perfect example of seeing my spouse's as an adversary as opposed to the my ally. So I think when you're in that circumstance, being able to recognize it and being self-aware, I've shared on the podcast before, Joe and I, we like to call out the label of what's happening. That's what works for us. And by doing it in a humorous way, it makes us kind of laugh a little bit. Mm. So, you know, if we recognize something like, oh, tit for tat, tit for tat, <laughs> don't do that, yeah, you right. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we can then both, hopefully, if we were in a good frame of mind, to step back and think, you know, a marriage is worth more than this little battle and say, sorry, do you forgive me? And we could re-correct that, that negative road that we've we've gone down. Sometimes you're not in the right frame of mind and you do need to self-soothe and rather than work it out imme- immediately and dig your feet in the trenches and continue that tit for tat, and I know we've spoken before in other podcasts, Fran, about asking the question, hey, are we under spiritual attack right now? What's yeah. going on? So true. Because sometimes but, it's it's in there, it's influencing in the relationship and we're not even aware of it. Uh, two really yeah. good people, but just hearing, it's sort of like there's a fog between us that's distorting the message that's coming through so that what I'm hearing Byron say or perceiving him to do or to mean is not what he is intending to communicate and vice versa. Yeah. It's like it's it's like a, it's like you know you talk about the brain fog, you know that we've become part of common language with the um, COVID pandemic and so on. People experiencing that brain fog. It's like a relationship fog that gets between the accurate perception of each other's genuine communication. Yeah, and then that way as well, you're reframing. You're like, my spouse is not the enemy. It's a different enemy that we're, yes. we're dealing with. We're on the same team. Let's work together to to uh, protect ourselves from that enemy. My spouse is my ally and I should be his ally too. Yeah. So ca- calling it out, using a bit of humour, 
sorry if I was stonewalling you. Give me an hour to self-soothe and let's come back and discuss this and recognising if there's a spiritual enemy attacking too. On that note, let's take a bit of a break and we'll come back to go deeper in the topic. It is easy to get discouraged when there is disconnection in our marriage. Arguments over petty incidents, too busy to romance each other, crowded with other responsibilities. All marriages go through periods where we need a breakthrough in our relationship. The Smart Loving Breakthrough course will teach you how arguments happen, how to manage them better or avoid them altogether. Understand your internal drivers and how your spouse is triggering you. Process the pain of past injuries, making you stronger and less reactive. Visit smartloving.org forward slash breakthrough. The Smart Loving Breakthrough course can be done by a couple or by an individual who is in a marriage that is in distress. Visit smartloving.org forward slash breakthrough to enroll today. Gift certificates are also available should you want to purchase the course for a friend or family member. Welcome back. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've been talking about war and peace on the home front as part of our Anzac Day special. If your marriage feels more like a battleground than a safe harbour, stay with us. We're ready to talk about how to de-escalate and disarm your relationship defences. So the first suggestion we have is just about fostering curiosity, Laura. So often we assume that we know the other's thoughts and intentions. We jump to conclusions about what they intended by a certain comment or a particular action. Looking at myself here, so guilty of this. When we're hurt, yeah, when we're hurt (laughs) with each other, those assumptions are almost always negative towards the other. Mm -hmm. Subconsciously, we're looking for the other to do it again. And so we hear what we expect to hear rather than what was said or intended. So it's really this foster curiosity is really a mental shift from that rapid fire condemnation to a curiosity. So almost like a, a suspending your judgment so that when something is said or done, and we're particularly if we're inclined to interpret it negatively, to just pause. Might there be an alternative explanation? Perhaps she didn't mean to brush you off. She's just exhausted. Maybe he didn't intend to ignore you. He's just stressed and distracted. Suspending the judgment and consciously restraining myself from a negative assumption. And then asking open, curious questions, not loaded ones. So allow space for the truth of my spouse's or my husband's intention to be articulated. Yes. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I think when you're, you know, in love and you're young and or early stages of your relationship, we're just more naturally curious about each other. We're still obviously getting to know each other. We're conscious that there's a lot to learn. So every date, every conversation was a bit of a new discovery, new territory. So I notice as we've got older that I've been less curious about Joe and you know, based on past experiences, it's a very short step from from there to presumptions and from there to negative judgment presumptions about something he said. And maybe it's based on past experiences, but it's a new experience, so I shouldn't have those assumptions. So that's, yeah, good advice to be, be curious and say, what's going on with you? Or did yeah. you mean that? Or <laughs> And to a certain extent, that's really natural and it's understandable. Uh, the better we know someone as we get sort of more years behind us, um, the better we can predict their behaviour and their preferences. But the danger is that when that history shuts down curiosity and openness to learning and being surprised. It's an interesting little aside but related to this. We've had pushback from some Catholics when we've talked about curiosity in the past, and it comes from the resistance 
comes from this writings of St. Thomas Aquinas, of all places. And he called curiosity a vice, and he discussed it in the context of moderation in the appetite-seeking knowledge. So he was talking about something different there, I think, to what we're talking about here. So in this case, we're talking about a couple, a husband and wife, where part of our vocational call is to know, love and serve each other. And the better we know each other, the better we can love and the better we can serve. So knowledge of each other is a value to pursue, and curiosity in this context is a virtue when defined as this desire to know the other better in order to love and serve and appreciate them better. So I think curiosity in this context is like a, an openness to their otherness and to the mystery that is this other person. And it's actually at the foundation of romance because romance is really rooted in this attractiveness of the mystery of the other. It draws us in. This is this person and, this, and it's such a mystery. It's unknown to me. So there's something we can proactively foster if we want romance and love and joy and surprise and spontaneity in our as part of our relationship. It really starts with this fostering of an attitude of curiosity. And as a practical thing in terms of a combative relationship, it predisposes us to just be more and more open interpretation so that we're avoiding an unnecessary hurt associated with a misinterpretation of what they're doing. Yes. And that's a really important distinction. And I think at the end of the day or, you know, over dinner or to, to ask questions like, hey, what have your spouse's name? In my case, hey, Joe, how's your spiritual life going? What's going on for you there? Um, mm, yeah. How's your work life going? How do you think our married life is going? How are we going in our vocation? Mm. Can I, as your spouse, improve on anything? And hopefully they mm. ask you back and they improve on anything. Open that curiosity about all the aspects of their, mm. how God is moving in their life, how he's moving in, in the marriage and mm. what signs that they've been getting, what, what messages. Yes. A healthy curiosity about all those things and those asking those questions and yeah. being able to share as well. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's kind of like a, an attitude that just holds our my opinions and judgments a little bit lightly. So rather than being really fixated and firm and well, this is what I've decided your actions means, and I can't be persuaded otherwise. It's in a way just keeping a bit of an open mindedness around. Well, maybe I haven't got the whole picture here. Maybe there's some detail some aspects of this that I, I need to be just open to receiving that to get a full picture. So that's curiosity. The second one is just gratitude. And again, this is an oldie but a goodie, really so self-evident in a way. But we do notice that when we're in a combative relationship, it's like our threat radar just goes into overdrive. We find ourselves on the alert, we're looking for danger, looking for evidence to really sustain our indignation, which our indignation is really in some ways a defence mechanism. It's like putting armour up so that we're less likely to get hurt. But before we know it, we're constantly surveillant for fault in the other. Natural survival instinct, and it's kind of understandable, but it's really counterproductive. Mm. So we really need to engage in some ways the rational thought process to overrule that spontaneous defensiveness because we're in that kind of um, highly defended state. It's like we've been triggered into that fight flight. And so we've got to kind of in some ways discipline that primal instincts with our higher order thinking. If all we ever look for is fault, you know how it works, that's what you'll find. Um, it really is exhausting to be in a constant state of defensiveness and negativity. There's no relaxation, there's no ease, it's all work. 
So the state of constant anxiety drains our energy, drains our joy. It also impacts our health. So the research is really clear that when we're in that state of negativity, not only are we emotionally not as as stable, but our physical health could also be impacted as well. So if we turn that around and engage our rational rationality, we stop scanning for fault and we start consciously looking for virtue, look for evidence of care, of generosity, of kindness, of diligence, whatever, in the other, we'll find it. I I know in my example here, like I was particularly in our early years, actually, no, it's not even, it's not even our early years. It's pretty much most of our married life. Yeah, Byron's had long work hours. It's sometimes been hard. It's painful. I've missed him. It's been lonely. It's hard, particularly when the children were really little. It was just long, hard days where without sort of adult company, if I focused on how late he was, I became more and more miserable and more and more hostile towards him when he finally came home. Mm. Um, it got very dark and I got very ugly, really. When I made the choice, however, to recognise that his long hours were motivated by his desire to provide financial security to protect me and the children from anxiety of budgets and making ends meet, that took the sting out of it. Uh, it was still hard. You know, he was still late and I wish he wouldn't be, but it was reframed in a way that it wasn't so painful. So it, it wasn't about avoiding me as much as it was about protecting me. And so that, I guess, is a classic case of focusing on what to be grateful for rather than on uh, on what was the deficit. Yes. Thanks for sharing that, Fran. That's really beautiful. And in my own in our own marriage, I, I can relate. Recently, he just went to Ireland with, with his mm-hmm. best friend from America. And in the same way, I was like, I'm heavily pregnant. I said to him to go. They'd planned this trip trip for ages. And because of COVID, it got delayed. So I was like, it's now or never. You better go on this trip to Ireland with your friend, Brad. Otherwise, we're going to have the baby and you'll you'll lose all your points for the flight. So I think as well, I was wanting him to go, but then I was annoyed at him that he'd went and I I had to deal with the consequences of being pregnant and having to do all the house chores. Anyway, when he first got back, there was a couple of days I was just grumpy at him because I think I was getting used to him being back in in the Mm. home again. And Joe's very organized and he's very neat. And I had all my water bottles around the house because <laughs> I'm super thirsty when pregnant. And Joe was collecting all the water bottles because he provides a beautiful clean home for us. And he's got really good with his projects and his carpentry, has um, the house looking always amazing. It's very easy when guests come around. But I see him with, with my pile of water bottles taking them all downstairs. And I, I felt at fault because... I've left my, you know, I haven't been packing away after myself. Instead of seeing that he's pointing out a fault by doing that, it's like he's resetting the home and it's always lovely when it's all reset and he's Mm. filled up all the water bottles and they're cold and in the fridge. So, again, that being grateful for his virtues in that (laughs) rather than it's highlighting my things that I need to work on Mm. in my own personal life. Yeah, it's it's such a simple thing, but it has such a profound impact on our relationships and of course it applies not just to marriages but to all of our relationships so even if you've got a listeners a a difficult relationship with a sibling or with a colleague at work think about a conscious practice of gratitude just find something one thing in that person each day for which you can be grateful and it can be just that little thread that begins the whole uh, change of attitude it can really just shift it so significant because the reality is the practice of gratitude has found 
to psychologically, like they use it as almost a treatment plan for people to alleviate depression and anxiety. It helps us reframe our situation from that hopeless circumstance, which it really, really is, to something that is hopeful so we can see some better days ahead. Really important in a marriage. There's nothing like a couple feeling like this is never going to get any better for them to lose motivation in terms of striving to maintain the marriage. Yeah. So make the decision to look on the brighter side of the other's character and focus on that rather than on the deficits. If nothing else, it will help you feel more optimistic about your relationship. That's a really great practical tip. Let's take a break now before we come back with a take home for our listeners. Smart loving fertility. There's a smarter way to manage your fertility, one that works with your body, your marriage and your faith. Smart Loving Fertility is an online course based on the Symptothermal Method. It incorporates a unique blend of scientific insights with relationship frameworks and Catholic theology to foster intimacy and help you flourish as a couple. The course will allow you to grow closer as a couple, to raise a family and keep your marriage vibrant, manage your fertility naturally, confidently and with more freedom. Visit smartloving.org forward slash fertility. Gift certificates are also available if you want to purchase the fertility course for a friend or family member. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've been talking about war and peace on the home front. And now it's time to get practical because theory is great, but how do we take all these ideas and put them into practice in our marriages, families and work? So our practical take home today is what we call the ouch rule. So that's ouch as an O-U-C-H. If you're in a, yes, ouch, that one. (laughs) Uh, If you're in a combative season and we all have them and you need a bit of a reset, the ouch rule can be really effective. When your spouse says or does something that hurts or offends, rather than immediately react with your own return serve, simply and gently say, ouch, that hurt. What I heard you say was or what I think about when you do that. So it's kind of like instead of just automatically firing back with your own kind of insult or reactive reply, it's kind of go, hang on, let's just pay attention to what just happened here. What it does is two things. Firstly, it shifts the focus away from the other's action and onto the impact on you. So it signals to the other that you hurt. Even if you appear angry, beneath that anger is a tender wound. And the ouch rule is meant to reveal our vulnerability, not to be a guilt bomb to lob at the other. It's all in the tone. So I just caution listeners, if you're going to use the ouch rule, it's not ouch, that hurt. It's ouch, that really hurt. This is what I heard you say. So bring that tone of, of just tender vulnerability rather than accusation and judgment um, Mm. into it for this to be effective. And sometimes our action reaction is so fast, there's no time for either of us to connect with the fact that we have been hurt. You know, we let our anger hide our wound. So the other who may not have meant to hurt us to do that offensive thing, sometimes they feel attacked because that wasn't their intention to hurt you. And then it escalates. So Mm. the ouch rule helps disrupt that pattern. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. If we say ouch, it's like that circuit breaker in the action reaction hot potato. Um, accusations and insults going backwards and forwards. So that scenario. Um, but the second thing it does is that it gives the other the opportunity to apologize or to correct your interpretation if you've misunderstood, which, you know, in our case, Brian and I have found that, that that's actually quite common, if not all the time. 
seriously, so often for a bone and eye, it's just misunderstanding or there's a stress factor and it's not really personal. So I might be wrestling with a migraine and I'm coming across as short-tempered and critical and I can see Byron will go, ouch, and I'll go, oh, hon, I'm so sorry, I've got, I've got a migraine. I don't mean to take it out on you. I think I've never heard the ouch rule before until this podcast ran, but we've, Joe and I, I remember one time we were driving somewhere and Joe said something and it triggered me and I said, instead of saying like ouch, but I said something like, you silly woman, in his voice, like as if he had said that after the <laughs> comment that he had said. And he was like, I didn't say, he's like, I didn't say that. I said, you said it with your tone. <laughs> and then he's like, no, no, let's step back, like, you know. And um, mm. so by me saying what I had heard in that way, in the same way, I think the outro was way better way of doing it because you're you're then opening up <laughs> I, I was putting words in Joe's mouth by saying that but by saying mm. oh ouch you know I I could have effectively shown you've mm. just hurt me or I've interpreted what you've just said hurtfully great I love that so just, it. just to give a really <laughs> um good example and actually the origin story of the ouch rule um we were working we were running one of our marriage seminars and a couple approached us to talk about offline to talk about some of their challenges this was a couple who had been through so much trauma mm. uh, had a really complicated history they were married I think at that point about 20 years they'd been 12 years in counseling they'd been to almost every Catholic counselor in the city mm. and they just weren't getting um, any forward momentum and as we were sort of listening to them we could see this tit-for-tat thing playing out. She would say something and we would think, okay, nothing sort of offensive in that, but he would react to it like wow. she had offended him. And then yes. he would say something and we would say it just seemed quite innocuous, innocent comment, but she would interpret it negatively. So we were seeing right before our eyes that they were misinterpreting each other all the time. So one of the little tools we gave them, we just thought of it on the spot, grace of the Holy Spirit, was this outro. And they came back to us later on and just said that that had been transformative. It was just such a powerful reset for them. And we found it to also be really effective for us. We don't even need to do it two or three times. And all of a sudden, it's like the mentality has shifted. We've broken that pattern. And we're now, before we're even getting to the ouch, we're recognising, oh, hang on a minute. Let's not just assume the negative intention here. Let's just... Um, we, we know we've already established that we're misunderstanding each other. So let's work from the assumption that I've misunderstood you rather than the assumption of you're trying to hurt me. Yeah. Wow. What a great tool. Mm. Let's talk about hope as well, because I think a lot of mm. spouses are discouraged about their marriage. They might have been stuck in this battleground state for years and it gets to a stage where you lose hope or you're losing hope. And so we just want to encourage you, if you if you are in that state, yeah, we just want to lift you up and encourage you and tr don't give up. And remember, you can make an impact on your own. You don't need to delay waiting for the other. Just get going. Foster curiosity, foster gra gratitude, those are two really important mentality shifts to make. And then bring in the ouch rule. Um, perhaps explain to your spouse first that when you say ouch, like you might need to, the first time you use it, give some explanation. Um, but really, it's pretty self-evident. When somebody says ouch, you kind of go, oh, something just hurt that person. 
But just remember, it's in the tone of voice. Don't use this as a, the arch rule is not meant to be a weapon. It's meant to be a, a strategy for disarmament. So approach it in that way and see if you can get a trending, a positive trending happening. You've been on a negative trending. It's now time to turn it around. Marriages don't typically repair overnight. It takes a bit of time, but nor do they collapse in a day. And it's that daily trending that really sets the course. So that's what we invite you to look for. Put in place these couple of little things and see if you can get some positive trending. Yeah, it's like when you start a health plan or a fitness kick or a, you know, a healthy eating pattern, you might not see results that day. So if you've, if you tried a tool and you've still got that negative reaction back from your spouse, don't just throw up your hands in the air and, and mm. move on. It's like, no, I'm going to continue this for, let's do it for a week, now two weeks, mm. a month, and you will see the the dance change. Yeah. And of course, within all of that, get down on your knees, call on the Lord. The Lord wants to help you and give you the graces to turn your marriage around. And trying to do it without him is making it harder than it needs to be. So again, can't emphasize that enough that the Lord will give you the grace, but you've got to ask him for it. You've got to be open to receiving it. That's so true. Let's take a quick break before we come back with a smart, loving Q&A. The Marriage Kit by Smart Loving is an online course for married couples wanting a lasting, passionate relationship. The course will allow you to grow in your understanding of each other and strengthen your bond with thought-provoking insights and practical skills. Research shows that relationship education can help you and your spouse improve your communication and conflict resolution skills, strengthening your relationship and reducing family breakdown. Gift certificates for the marriage kit are also available if you would like to purchase the course for a friend or family member and their spouse. Visit smartloving.org forward slash marriage kit. Hi there, friends. This is Radio Maria Australia, and it's time for a Smart Loving Q&A. We get questions every day from wives, husbands and couples from around the world. And in this case, we've got one from a priest. So, Laura, you want to fill us in? Yes. So we had a question from a priest who is preparing a couple who has been civilly married for many years, but now they're looking to convalidate their marriage in the Catholic Church. Very exciting. And he asks, well, is it necessary for them to do a marriage preparation course because they've they've already been married (laughs) and it's going well and they obviously haven't split up and now they're going to... Another step. They're going to the next step, which is to make it a sacramental marriage. So do they need to do a marriage preparation course if they've already been married? Well, what I'd say to that is, look, even if a couple has been married a long time, the experience shows that we can always learn more. We've mentioned in other podcasts, my husband and I are a sponsor couple with the Smart Living Engaged online course. And every time we sponsor an engaged couple and refresh ourselves with the course content, we learn new things because you're at different stages of your life at different in different months and different years. So we are always enriched in our own marriage, picking up tips and hints about being a better spouse. So there's no harm in them doing a marriage preparation course, even if they've already been married. And I guess it's not just about relationship skills, is it, Fran? Well, that's right. There's there's also the spiritual formation and theological instruction. We're always surprised by how many people have just reduced the Catholic marriage preparation to simply being about relationship skills. It's so much more than that. The spiritual formation, for example, can include preparing individually for the commitment they're about to make. Marriage in the Catholic Church, there's no backing out. Like in a civil marriage, 
there is such a thing as divorce, but there's not really in the church. We know that marriages break down and it's tragic, but there is a very strong sense in the Catholic faith that this is for life. And there's also other aspects that differentiates Catholic marriage from secular marriage, if you like. There's a, the openness to children. There's the um, fidelity. That's a very strong ethic. That's not always the case with a civil marriage. So there's unique things about entering into a Catholic marriage that the couple really do need to explore and make sure they're on the same page. And then there's also just the theological instruction, understanding what is the sacrament of marriage, what uh, what's the structure of the liturgy, understanding the wedding liturgy and as ministers of the sacrament to each other. That's the other thing that a lot of people forget is that the priest doesn't marry them. The couple are the ministers of the sacrament to each other. So if they're going to take that role, they sort of really do need to know what they're doing there. So all of that preparation is about covering off all of those factors. Yes. To the answer this priest question, I think it, marriage preparation course, even if they've already been married, if they're getting married in the church, it's very helpful and would be yeah, of use. Absolutely relevant. On a practical note, though, recognizing that we have quite high expectations of engaged couples and they're usually in a situation where they have a little bit more time. They don't have children, for example. So being demanding in that context is more accepted. A lot of the time, I think what they're getting is a pushback from the couple themselves to saying, look, really, is this necessary? We're really busy. We've got a lot of commitments and children and, and family commitments and so on. So in a practical sense, I would say if it's the time is really limited to focus on those spiritual and theological aspects rather than the relationship skills, as important as they are, I think in this particular case, that to get married, because they're sacramentalizing their marriage as opposed to committing to marriage, that it's probably more important to focus on those. So if you have to choose between one or the other, I'd say take those ones. Yeah, that's good advice. If you've got questions for us, you can contact us via the Radio Maria website or visit smartloving.org forward slash conversations. But before we sign off, we're almost at the end of our time. We want to share um, a blessing with you. So Laura, what's your blessing for our audience this time? My blessing for today, Fran, is a program by a beautiful Catholic woman in the US called Emily Wilson. She's written a course called Navigating Engagement with Peace, Joy and Gratitude. And it's for women who are engaged and it's helping them focus on more than just the event and the wedding planning. She says that she wished that she had something like this, Mm -hmm. uh, a guide when she was engaged to help her focus on the sacramental aspects of the wedding yeah. as, and, and as, as a female. So such a need for that because the weddings have become such a bride focused event for many of them, you know, the whole princess day thing, and it can be taken to an extreme that can get unhealthy. So that's really nice to see a resource like that. So my bless you this week is really just um, the works of the Order of Malta. If you're interested in finding out more about the Order of Malta and would like to perhaps explore becoming a member, um, we'll provide a web link for you. Or you might just want to contribute to our charitable works. Uh, we have a number of different, the Order has a number of different initiatives that we uh, can take tax deductible donations. We're also often reaching out into international areas as well. So those of you who have a real heart for, we have a, a 
um, a campaign for supporting Ukraine at the moment. Um, we've done bushfire sponsors and things like that. So our, we have community kitchens, all that sort of stuff. So jump on the website, have a look and reach out if you want more info. Wonderful. Well, that brings us to the end of our time together, friends. You can find more information, including links to our blessings, our show notes and more at smartloving.org forward slash conversations. That's www.smartloving.org forward slash conversations. I'm Laura Kane, and I've been talking with Francine Prola from Smart Loving. We pray that you will be blessed in your walk with the Lord today, and we lift you up and all your intentions to our patron saints, Our Lady Undoer of Knots. Pray for pray us. for us. St. John Paul II. Pray, pray for, for us. us. This is Radio Maria Australia. Goodbye. Thank you.